If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 9. Thank you for your help, brother. Luke chapter 9 is where we'll be this morning. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. You know, when I was, uh, when I was going to seminary at Southwestern Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, uh, I had a lot of different courses that I, that I took. And sometimes I'm asked, what was the most intimidating course? You know, was it taking Greek? Was it your theology course? And actually, my most intimidating course that I took was in early childhood education. And now, let me just say, I, I'm a father of three, and I love children. But if you get more children in the room, I'm talking about the ankle biter, you know, size. If you get more children in a room than you have adults, I just get a little uncomfortable. It's just kind of how I'm wired. Now, give me junior high and above, and I'm good. But man, you get, get too many ankle biters in the room, and, and I just get uncomfortable. So I went into this class with fear and trembling. And I remember the professor standing up the first day. She said to the class, she said, I've got good news for you. I'm going to give an automatic A. Now, she had my attention from the beginning. I mean, I'm, I'm, she's reeling me in. And she says, I'm going to give an automatic A. And she said, there's no research paper to do. And I'm really intrigued. There's, there's no extra you know, uh, assignment other than you give one hour a week for the next 12 weeks to work in an after-school program with children. And I must have been brain dead. I thought, how hard could that be? <laughs> and I went up and I signed my life away. I mean, I signed up for this project. And I can remember reporting to the church the first day to work in this after-school program. And when I showed up, there was a young lady running the program and she lit up like a Roman candle. She was so excited to see me. That should have been my first clue, but it wasn't. I missed it. And I said, I'm here to work with the kids in the after-school program. She said, man, I'm so glad you're here. You're going to be with them during their recreation time. I said, this is perfect. I can throw the ball at them, I mean with them, and, and we'll have a great time out on the playground. I can do this. And I said, well, where are the kids that I'm going to work with? And she pointed down this long, dark hallway, and she said, they're behind that door. I started walking down the hallway, and as I got closer to the door, the noise coming from the other side got increasingly louder. And when I opened the door, there were 31 first graders and one adult. I was terrified. I, my blood pressure was going up. I was starting to sweat. The, the lady that was in there with them, I think, recognized what was happening to me, and she said, sir, just turn around, head to the playground, they'll follow you out. You need a breath of fresh air. And so that's what I did. And I went out and they followed me out to the playground. And we did. We had a lot of fun. And I was throwing the ball at them, I mean, with them. And we really were enjoying the time. Until it came time to line up to go back inside. Now, the whole first week in my early childhood education class, they, the professor talked with us about how children cannot think in the abstract so if you tell a child that age to get in line, they have no idea what you're talking about. It's an abstract concept. And so the whole week they had talked to us about learning how to take something abstract and make it concrete. And so I looked around and I saw a fence over to my right. I thought, this is perfect. I looked at the boys and girls. I said, we've had so much fun, but it's time to go inside. I need you to all go stand right along the fence. And much to my amazement, they formed a line, except for about four boys. And I heard this noise over my left hand shoulder, my, my left shoulder, and I looked around, 
and four of the boys had jumped up on top of the commercial air conditioning unit that was outside of the building. They knew they weren't supposed to be up there, but they're running around on top of it. I looked at the boys. I said, boys, I need you to get down, and I need you to go stand right along the fence with the other boys and girls. And all of them but one went immediately. I just feel compelled to protect his identity. We'll just call him Jimmy. But Jimmy looked at me, and he said, no. Now, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I originally grew up in Texas, down in the South. In Texas, where I grew up, if an adult told you to do something, if they were an adult male, you said, yes, sir, and you complied. If it was an adult female, you said, yes, ma'am, and you complied. And if you didn't, you weren't going to last very long. (laughs) And so I'm looking at this kid, and I'm like, I'm starting to forget about the things that I'm learning. And I said to this young man, I said, you need to get down and go stand with the other boys and girls along the fence. Jimmy put his hands on his hips, and he got in this stance, and he stared right into my eyes, and he said, I'm my own boss. Man, I really am forgetting about everything I learned in childhood education. The only thing that was going through my mind was what Dr. James Dobson said, if you have a strong-willed child, you win. (laughs) And I'm thinking, how can I win in this situation? So I jumped up on the commercial unit with him. I chased him until I caught him. I picked him up and I jumped to the ground. And when I hit the ground, I put his nose right against my nose and gave him a little bit of a squeeze. And I said, Jimmy, who's boss now? That was day one. <laughs> and as I was heading home, I was at this stoplight, and I was the, the other thing that we had to do with this project, you had to keep a journal, and you had to, to keep track of what happened during your time with the children. And I was sitting at this stoplight, and I was thinking, Lord, what in the world am I going to write in my journal? And I had this moment with the Lord. It was one of those moments where the Holy Spirit just begins to really impress upon you spiritual truth from everyday life. And this is what the Holy Spirit said to me. Mike, behind every single sin is the attitude that says to a holy God, I'll be my own boss. And it doesn't matter what sin it is. You know, in the church, we like to think of these smaller sins because they tend to have less consequences than the bigger sins that tend to have bigger consequences. But behind every single sin is the attitude that is saying to the God of all creation, the almighty king, the the authority of all that is, I'll be my own boss. Church, God didn't create us to be boss. God created us to be in a humble relationship with him. To walk humbly with him. And I mentioned that revival passage that we've heard so many times. If my people which are called by my name will what church? Humble themselves. I'm amazed at how many times the people of God will try to pray without humbling themselves. They will try to seek the Lord without first humbling themselves. They will even try to deal with their own sin without first humbling themselves. What does it mean to truly walk humbly with the Lord. The prophet Micah tells us in Micah 6, 8, he has told you what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to to love kindness 
and justice and to walk humbly with your God. Church, I would submit to you that 21 years after the attack on this nation, we are more in need now of humility and humbleness before God than our nation has ever been. We need a great revival in this land. But it will not happen apart from step one. Humble yourself before God. So what does that mean? In the gospel of Luke chapter 9, we have a moment that Jesus has with his disciples. And it's a moment that out of this time with his disciples, Jesus teaches and instructs them about what it means to be a disciple, what it means to walk humbly with God. Let's begin reading in verse 18. And it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him and he questioned them saying, who do the people say that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. But others that one of the prophets of old has risen again. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever wishes, whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Would you pray with me again? Father, I do pray that this... This morning during this time, you would take your word and that, Lord, just as you've taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread. Lord, feed us from your word. May we hear what your heart and what your spirit desires for us to hear, to understand, and to act upon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we're to walk humbly with the Lord... Notice what he says first here in verse 23. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Humility is denying oneself. That word deny in the Greek means to say no, to refuse. And it's stated in the imperative. It's a command. We must learn how to say no, to refuse. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you ever tell yourself no? See, we live in a world today where self-indulgence reigns. We live in a day today where everything in our culture says, you do what you need to do for you. Satisfy you. Satisfy your desire. Satisfy the flesh. And that is the message of everything around us. All of our technology prompts us to an immediate satis satisf uh, satisfying. But do you ever tell yourself, no. See, we see in the context of this that 
this context was set up as Jesus is asking some questions of the disciples. And he asked them, who do the people say that I am? Well, some say Elijah, one of the prophets of old. And then he gets very personal. Who do you say that I am? And Peter immediately responds, moved by the Holy Spirit. He says, you're Christ, the son of the living God. Right answer, Peter. Jesus affirms him. Yes, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but the Spirit of God. But then watch what happens in just moments after that. Jesus explains that he's going to suffer, be rejected, and die and rise again. And I don't think Peter ever heard rise again. Because immediately, Peter says to Jesus, wait a minute, wait a minute, we need to talk. And he pulls Jesus aside. And the scripture tells us in Matthew's gospel, we get a little more of the detail. In Matthew's gospel, it says that Peter pulls him aside. And he says to Jesus, look at verse uh, Matthew 16, we see it in verse 22. He's already, Jesus has said, I'm going to suffer, be killed. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. Uh, that already is an amazing statement to think about. Peter is rebuking Jesus. But then it says, and this is a quote in Matthew's gospel of what Peter cried out. God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Now, I want you to think about what's happening here. Jesus has affirmed Peter's statement that he is Christ, but he knows that there is not quite a full understanding of what his mission is as Christ. That he came to this world to die the sacrificial death that all sinners need paid for our sins. And he would lay down his life on that cross, be buried and rise again to conquer sin and death, and Peter hears him talking about suffering and rejection and death. And he cries out, God forbid it. Aren't you glad that God sometimes answers no to our prayers? I'm really glad that God answered no to Peter's request. Because Peter was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. He was crying out that this crucifixion event, the point at which everything had been moving since before creation ever began for the redemption of the sins of mankind, and this leader who just moments earlier was filled with the Holy Spirit is now operating in the flesh. And Peter's saying, I don't want what God wants. I don't want what you've said to ever take place. May God forbid that that would ever happen. The very thing that Peter was rejecting was the very thing that Peter needed most. And that's still playing out today. The very thing that we need most is Jesus. And it's the very thing that people reject. And Jesus responds to Peter. In Matthew's gospel, he records it. He says, get behind me. It's a Greek word that means fall in line. It's a reminder to Peter that he is to be a follower. And then he says, get behind me, Satan. It's the word that refers to adversary. 
What Jesus is dealing with here, he says, you've become a stumbling block. It's a Greek word that means an offense. It was typically used about a stick for bait, a trap. And Jesus is saying, Peter, Peter, you're not getting your life in line with my will. Right now in the flesh, you're aligning your life to the very will of the one who has been trying to stop this mission since I got here. That's what happens when we operate in the flesh. We are aligning ourselves with the enemy of God. Jesus said, Peter, you're setting your mind on man's interest, not on God's interest. So what does it mean then to deny oneself? It means that we must learn how to say no to ourselves, but it also means that we've got to disregard our own interest. We've got to lay aside our own way. So often we live according to our way. We live according to impurity and unholiness and godless, godlessness and rebellion. And when we're dissatisfied with something, so often rather than pursuing God, we have a tendency to be tempted to pursue the things of this world. We've got to disregard our own interests, to say no to our ways, our agendas, our wants, our desires. When I was a, a young man... I had a game that I used to play called King of the Mountain. Anybody ever played King of the Mountain? And I, I enjoyed this game. I had really only two ways I could be king. I could have my own mountain or I could get there first. That was about the only way I could be king. And I remember, I remember sitting on the, in, in the classroom at school waiting for recess. And we had a mountain out on our, our, our playground that we played with uh, this game all the time. And the only way I would ever get to be king would be to beat the other boys and girls there first. And so I had timed the clock down to the second. And I was out the door by the time the bell rang. And I would get up on that mountain and I was standing as king. And it didn't take long before someone would knock me off and someone else would be king. And I don't know if you've seen this game played, but most of the time where it starts, there's usually someone who is like the king of all the kings. He's the one that dominates the game and is always on top. And on my playground, his name was Big Chris. And we called him Big Chris because he was big. He was not very bright. He had failed, you know, first grade two or three times or something like that. He was still there. And, and when I looked at Chris, I was staring at his belly button. This guy was huge. And I made a critical decision that whenever Chris got on the mountain, I was going to let him be king. <laughs> and I would just step back and I would just watch in awe. Because he would just knock kids off left and right. And I remember one afternoon on the playground, it looked like a war zone. There were bodies laid out all over the place. He had knocked everybody down, and I was standing in the back with my jaw down, and he looked at me and he said, Mike, come stand on the mountain with me. I said, me? He said, come stand with me. And I'm stepping over bodies, and I get up on the mountain, and I'm standing beside Chris. He looks down at me, and I look up at him, and he, he said, are you ready? I said, yeah. And man, the kids started coming. Chris put it into another gear. I didn't know he had another gear. And I mean, he is knocking kids off left and right. This other kid started coming up the back. I pushed him down. I said, man, I'm with the king. And guys, do you realize that the scripture says we are joint heirs with King Jesus? But listen to me, you cannot reign with King Jesus in all of the fullness of what he wants for our life if you're resisting King Jesus. 
He's king. We've got to disregard our own interests. We've got to lose our life for Christ's sake and the sake of the gospel. Look what he says in Luke 9. He goes on and he says in verse 24, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever tries to preserve, protect, deliver, you always lose. That's not the way of the kingdom. He says, but whoever loses his life, and that word means to to give up, to destroy, to put out of the way, finds life. We must be willing to lose our life. He says in verse 25, For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? If we're going to deny ourselves, we've got to be willing to stop seeking to gain the things of this world. We've got to realize that it really has no part. It is is not the way of the kingdom. The philosophies and the thinking and the way this world works, it's broken. But God's kingdom is right And so we have to get to this place that we are willing to say, I'm not going to try to follow after this world. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. It has nothing to offer. And so we need to get to this place where we're willing to say, I'm going to say no to myself. I'm going to put aside my interest in once. I'm not going to be consumed with the things of this world. Ultimately, I'm going to come to this place that I truly surrender. I'm going to surrender. Now, this flag that I hold in my hand is, is not, it's not very extravagant. It's pretty plain. It's a symbol Not of joy, but of shame. To the world, this is a symbol of weakness and a symbol of defeat. But when a man or woman fully surrenders their life and their heart, their will and their way to God, this is a symbol of something incredibly extravagant to God. It's a symbol of joy. It's a symbol of strength. It's a symbol of victory. It is only when we get to that place of humility that we say before our creator, I'm done. I'm done. I surrender. I'm not going to live my way, doing my thing according to my time. I surrender. That's what it means to deny yourself. And I want to ask you a question this morning. If God were to draw a flag that represented your life, what your heart was most devoted to, would it be a simple flag of surrender to him? Or would there be something else that's flying on the flagpole of your life? Jesus said that no other relationship could be more important than the relationship with Jesus. Jesus said that money can't take the highest priority in the love affair of our life. Jesus said we must even be willing to lose our own life, to lay down everything and surrender to Christ. If we're to walk in humility with God, if we're going to be his disciple, we must deny ourselves. But then he says we must, verse 23, take up our cross 
daily. Humility is not only denying ourselves, humility is submitting to God to take up our cross. When I was in college, I had a, a group of friends. We were all in the Bible program together and we're studying theology and in Bible classes and we were wrestling with this passage one afternoon and we were sitting and we were talking about it. What does it really mean when Jesus says, take up your cross? I mean, we talked about a lot of the obvious things we knew it didn't mean. It didn't mean, you know, wearing t-shirts or a cross necklace or even carrying a, a physical cross around. What did it mean? And as we continue to ponder that, it led to a, a different question. And the question was this, what was God's ultimate will for Jesus Christ? In other words, what was his mission? What had he come to do? And, and the answer became so clear for us immediately. God's ultimate will for Jesus was the cross. It was the very thing Peter was praying would never happen. And it was the very reason why Jesus corrected him and rebuked him so sternly. The cross was the will of God for Jesus. And when Jesus says we must take up our cross, what he's meaning for us is that we must be willing to submit our lives, united with Christ's life, to submit to his will. To submit to his way. It means that we not only raise the flag of surrender to our own will, we raise the flag of surrender to his will. No longer my will, your will be done. And, and that's exactly what we see Jesus demonstrating for us. In John chapter 4, verse 34, we see Jesus saying, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So what does it look like to begin this journey of surrender? Well, again, Jesus teaches us this moment that, that Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember it well. He, he brings his disciples to come and to take the first step. And what was it? Pray with me. He said, pray with me. There's something that happens when we humble ourselves before Almighty God and pray as he taught us to pray. Now notice I said pray as he taught us to pray. Not pray the way your flesh wants to pray. Remember, Peter was praying a prayer when he said, God forbid it that this would ever happen. But he wasn't praying the way Jesus would teach him to pray. How did he teach them to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Finish it with me, church. Thy will be done. Listen, are you wondering why your prayer life seems to be like a ceiling where it just seems like prayers are hitting off of the roof and you don't feel that connection with God? You're not feeling like this, this prayer thing is really working in your life? I want to ask you a question. Is your prayer, lift, prayer life driven by humility, by surrendering, by submission to say, God, I want your will or is your prayer life dominated by trying to persuade God to your will there's a big difference in that 
Jesus taught us how to pray in that garden of Gethsemane. He is bowed down before the Lord. And he knows the agony of the cross that is before him. And he cries out, Lord, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. You know what I like about that? You see the true humanity of Jesus. He is wrestling with the flesh and the reality of the suffering that's coming. But he doesn't end there in prayer. In the midst of that wrestling, there is a complete and total surrender to the agreement that was made in the Godhead Trinity before the, the world had ever begun. And Jesus cries out, not my will, but your will be done. That is a posture of humility. You want to know when you really have gotten to a place where you're, you're going, this humility thing, I'm starting to understand it. It's when you cry out, your heart cry before God, and God responds back and he says, no. And your heart still says, your will be done. That's what it looks like to walk humbly with God. We surrender our will to his will. And it starts by the change of our prayer life to a prayer life that is one of submission. And we seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness rather than seeking to gain this world. We seek first his kingdom. Do you remember the question that Jesus asked? Who do the people say that I am? They still don't get it. Elijah, a prophet. Who do you say that I am? And what was the answer? Christ. That word literally was the idea Messiah. And what Jesus was affirming is, yes, you're right. I am the Messiah. What does that mean? The Messiah was to come, descended from the line of David. Messiah was king. Messiah was king. And this is exactly what Jesus was affirming when he said, that's right, Peter. And it's upon this that I will build my church. What is he building his church on? He's building his church upon that confession and acknowledgement. I'm not king. I'm not going to run in rebellion anymore. You're king and I surrender. Over and over at key moments in the life of Israel... God revealed himself as a king. In Isaiah 6.1, the prophet Isaiah, in a vision, in the year that King Uzziah of his death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. Who sits on a throne, church? A king. In, in Malachi, or Micaiah the prophet, excuse me, Micaiah the prophet had a vision during the reign of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he also spoke of seeing the Lord. He said, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left. Church who sits on a throne, a king. And in Ezekiel, Ezekiel has a vision. And he says, I saw something resembling a throne with ebon sapphire in appearance. And on that which resembled a throne high up was a figure with the appearance of a man. Church, who sits on a throne? It's a king. And you realize that in the revelation, the prophecy that's related to the last days, John also sees a vision. And the vision 
John says, immediately I saw in the spirit and behold a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on a throne. Why is it that at these pivotal moments in the life of Israel and what I believe is communicated for the life of the church that God reminds us in the midst of those moments of rebellion and sin that he is a king. Because it's in our rebellion that we give in to temptation and start thinking somehow we're in charge. Somehow we're boss. We drift into what I call a Burger King mentality. What is the mission statement for Burger King? You can have it your way, right? You're king. You walk in to get something at, at Burger King. You're king. You can have it your way. Burger the way you want it. Fries the way you want it. Get your shake the way you want it. You can have it your way. You're king. You know, that's good for burgers, fries, and a Coke, but that's a lousy way to live the Christian life. You and I aren't king. We're not to live life and have it our way. Jesus Christ is king of kings, Lord of lords. He is the supreme authority. He is sovereign God. And he is king over those who love him, and he is king over those who do not. The Bible says God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Psalm 47, 8. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Exodus 15, 18. There will be no end to his kingdom. He is king. He is Lord. Isaiah 40 says that no one, no one counsels him. No one gives him understanding. No one teaches him. No one controls him. He reigns completely, independently. He is self-sufficient. He is above and over all. And yet Satan continuously, continuously tempts us to rule ourselves. Continually tries to say that somehow we can be free from the reign of God and be the better for it. But sin is most simple in definition Nothing more, nothing less than rebellion against the king who reigns. And you must understand something. Rebellion against an authority does not equal freedom from that authority. See, that's the lie. Satan wants to convince us that if we go our own way, we can be freed from the authority of God. And that's a lie. You are never free from the king. He's always king. And that means there's only two ways that we can respond. We either are in submission to the king or we are in rebellion against the king. But we are never king. In fact, the scripture makes this abundantly clear. And points out that during the height of rebellion, during the days of Noah, when they thought, they thought they were free from God's rule. They thought they were free from God's reign. It says that the Lord saw the wickedness of man and it was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And what was to come? It was the flood, the judgment. When did they realize that they were not free from the authority of God? It was when the rain began to fall. It was when the water began to rise. It's when there was no longer any hope of salvation in the ark that they had mocked and rejected for 120 plus years. And the psalmist says about that moment. Listen to this. 
Psalm 29, verse 10. The Bible says the Lord sat as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king forever. Rebellion against authority does not equal freedom from authority. We must get to this place that we are willing to submit ourselves to God's will. Listen, the shortest distance between God's will and your will is an act of surrender. Let me say that again. The shortest distance between, your, between God's will and your will is an act of surrender. And to come to this place where we say again, Lord, I acknowledge you are king. That we would be unashamed of Christ and his words. Mark adds in his account of this that we would be unashamed of Christ and his words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Is it difficult to stand for Christ? Yes. Is it difficult when everything around you is at the height of wickedness and rebellion? Yes. And that's exactly the call that God has placed upon those who want to be his disciples. Be unashamed in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. I told you I had another time that I could be king, and it was when I had my own mountain. I was asleep one Saturday morning, and I heard a rumbling outside, and I looked out, and my dad was driving a dump truck. I know you ladies don't, that just went over like nothing. You guys are like, oh, wait, a dump truck? Oh, that's... My dad was driving a dump truck. I mean, I got up out of bed. I got dressed really quick. I'm running through the house looking to see where my dad is going. And my dad backs this dump truck right up to my backyard. I was so excited. I was about to have the largest mountain in the city to be king. And that, that, that loader began to unload and it began to lift and the mountain began to form. And I took off running and I jumped to take my place on that mountain. And my dad saw me. He said, Mike, that's not dirt. Splat. It looked like dirt, but it didn't feel like dirt, and it didn't smell like dirt. I didn't realize my dad was putting in a garden, and I was now standing as king on the largest pile of manure in the city, but I was king. <laughs> Listen to what Paul said. What is more? I considered everything loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things and I consider them rubbish. Now if you have the old King James Version it has the most accurate interpretation of this word in the Greek. In the King James it says I consider them dung. Manure. We'll stop with that. <laughs> I consider it dung that I may gain Christ. Paul says, everything that I thought was of any value to me, that I was clenching to, that I was holding on as I resisted Christ and his way and the advance of his kingdom, I realized it's dung compared to the treasure of Christ. And I ask you this morning, what 
is it that you hold in your hand that you treasure and you grip more tightly in affection than your love for Jesus? We must set our mind on God's interest. That's what it means to submit to his will. That we begin to cry out as the psalmist wrote in Psalm 134.10, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me to level ground. That we cry out with what Paul said in Ephesians 5.17, So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. That's why your pastor in this church call you to spend time reading this word and meditating on the word and studying the word so that you would know the will of God. And his will is for the salvation of the lost. Does your life align with his will? His will is for sanctification, which means the setting apart from sin to be set apart to God. It means that we are pursuing a life of holiness to say no to sin and say yes to the way and the will of God. Does your life align with his will of sanctification? of holiness he calls us to follow him and he calls us to do it daily did you notice that little word in there daily take up your cross I think the reason that he calls for daily submission is because of Satan's temptation which is daily he tempts us moment by moment day by day and so the Lord reminds us follow me if we're to walk in humility, we must deny ourselves, we must take up our cross. And then notice the last thing he says, it's very simple. He says, follow me. He says, follow me. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must follow me. It's very interesting the way this reads in the Greek, because the word come is a word that means to follow. And so he literally says, if anyone wishes to follow me, follow me. Do you realize how simple that is, that Jesus is just laying it out? You want to follow me? Follow me. But isn't it interesting how difficult we make something that's so simple? Follow me. It's worded in the Greek as a continuous action, that we're to keep on doing it. But I really think sometimes we struggle with this. I've, I've asked Connor to come help me try to illustrate this as we close this morning. And Connor, uh, because he's got the beard, we're going to let him represent Christ for us this morning. Uh, don't let that go to your head. And uh, it's about humility this morning. So he's going to represent Christ for us. And, and Connor, what I want you to ask me to do for this illustration is just ask me to follow you and then go wherever you'd like. And let's just kind of illustrate this so we can kind of see how we, we think following what it looks like. Can you follow me, Mike? Wait a minute, Connor. Come back here. Because see, some of us, we know we've heard the voice of God. We know exactly what he's asked us to do. In fact, sometimes we agree with the truth, but we never adjust our life to actually apply and go and do what he actually said to do. But we say we're followers of Christ. Let's try it again, Connor. Okay, can you follow me? Oh. See, sometimes we know we've heard the voice of God. We know exactly what he's asked us to do, and we start the journey. 
We actually start following, but then we realize where he's going, and we're like, oh, wait a minute. I didn't know that was quite part of the deal here. I mean, there's suffering here. There's hardship. There's sacrifice here, and we quit. But we still say we're followers of Christ. Let's try it again, Connor. Okay, Mike, can you follow me? See, sometimes we know exactly what God's asked us to do, and we've got a Jonah complex, right? It's so clear. We're like, oh, no, not me. You want 10,000 other people, but not me, Lord. I am not the one you want for this, and we're running. And what's so bad about this one is when you're running, you're moving. It's so easy for Satan to convince us we're really still a follower of Christ. Let's try it again, Connor. Follow me, Mike. Oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I call this the eager beaver Christian, right? Man, you know you've heard the voice of God. You know exactly what he's asked you to do. But man, waiting on his timing and being patient and you jump ahead of God. And, and usually when we start getting ahead of God, we're relying on our own strengths and our own insights. And, and then we look around at and we go, wait a minute, Jesus, where are you? And he's like, hello, where are you? And yet we want to say we're following Christ. Well, let's try it again, Connor. All right, can you follow me this time and stay behind me, Mike? <laughs> See, when you know you've heard the voice of God and you know exactly what he's asked you to do, then wherever he leads, you go. He's the one that's in charge. And it may not make any sense to you where he's going, but you're not in the role of king. You're in the one whose role is to submit and simply follow wherever he leads. Thank you, Connor. I want to ask you this morning. See, it's really interesting to me. Right now, in 2020, the idea of following is constantly in our minds and our thoughts. We follow on Snapchat. We follow on Instagram. We follow on Twitter. We follow on Facebook. We follow on this. We follow on YouTube. We follow... And we actually give all of those individuals that we follow permission to interrupt our life with the immediate notification of what's important for them for us to know. And yet there are so many of us that claim to be followers of Jesus that we get very grumbly when God wants to send us a notification. And we were the ones that subscribed to his channel, if you will. But we don't want to hear what he has to say. We don't want to do life the way he does life. We're so prone to want to pick up our crown and to do it our way. And that was exactly the lesson that Peter and the disciples needed to learn. In this teachable moment. Guys, if you're going to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. 
take up your cross and surrender to my will, and you follow me. Follow me. And I want to ask you as we move to a time of invitation, a time of response to what God has said, which way of following most looks like your life where you are right now? Are you hearing God speak to you about something, but you're not willing to move? Have you started the journey, but it it cost you something and there was sacrifice and it became hard? Or you just didn't really like what God was wanting you to do and you quit? Are you running in the opposite direction? Are you getting ahead of God? Or could you honestly say where I am today, I can say I'm following Jesus one step at a time. Which way of following most looks like your life? Maybe you're here this morning, you'd say, Mike, I'm not following at all. I've never even gotten into the journey. I haven't subscribed to his page. I don't know Jesus. Man, I'm here because a friend invited me. And man, as I've listened to you, what you're talking about is my life. I've been living life my way, according to my plan and my interest. I've been fulfilling the desires of my flesh and doing what I want to do. And I know exactly what you're talking about because it's brought me to ruin. It's brought me hardship and suffering. There's shame. There's regret. And so I I keep searching. I keep wanting to find something that will get me on a better path. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. If that's you this morning and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, will you begin with that first step, one of humility that simply says, God, I'm wrong. I've been trying to do it my own way and it's not working. I'm wrong. And if you're already at that place that you realize that Jesus is the answer, then take the next step. Lord, I confess you are Lord. Your boss, your king, and I surrender myself to you. I don't want to live life my way anymore. I will follow you. I surrender my life to you. Come into my life and forgive me of my sin. See, that's the really good news about following following Jesus. Is when you follow Jesus, it starts with forgiveness that you receive. It starts with his lavishing love covering your life and today if you've never made that decision I'm going to be at the back as we sing and we worship together if you need to talk to someone you come if you're here today and you know you're a follower of Christ but you know that things are not where they need to be you need to talk to someone you can come back and visit with me you can pray where you are just use this time as an opportunity to respond to what God has said to you Let me lead us in prayer. Father, I pray. I pray, Lord, that today we would not just be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers. We would surrender and respond to what you've said to us today. Father, I pray that we would deny ourselves, that we would submit to your will, taking up our cross, even if it leads to death, and that we would follow you one step at a time to go where you lead us. Lord, I pray that as we sing, as we bring this service to a time of response, Father, I pray that we would not 
we would not miss the step that you want us to take. Speak, Lord. We're listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.